welcome to the first ever B2B Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, B2B Marketing Journalist, Molly Raycraft, and I'm joined by my assistant, who most of you will probably know, Adam Harper. I am so excited to introduce you all to episode one of our B2B Marketing Podcast. As always, episode one is the worst episode, so if you like it, hold on to your hats, it's only getting better. And if you don't like it, well, give us seven or eight more chances to see if it gets any better. Now, we've got an exciting first episode lined up. We'll be talking to Brian McCready from Adelshaw Goddard about how he stays creative in B2B, as well as Gemma Davies from ServiceNow, who will be discussing ABM at a global level and having a growth mindset. But first, Molly spoke to Brummie's best marketer, Simon Russling, who's partner and head of marketing at Barnet Waddingham, about what he wishes he'd known when he'd started his career in B2B. Hi Simon, thanks so much for being our first ever guest on the show. Now we're going to be talking about what you wish you'd known when you first started in B2B. So how many years ago was that now? Um, That's a scary question. (laughs) Probably... 15 now, 15, 16 years, I think, in B2B marketing specifically. So I've always been in marketing, but B2B specifically for 15 plus years. And is now. there much you wish you'd known before you started, or are you pretty happy with all your decisions? I think there's loads that I wish I knew, but um, you need to go through the journey for it to benefit you. Yeah. So there's loads and loads of stuff that I know now that I wish I knew when I was 21, coming into my first job. But Learning it sometimes the hard way is kind of important that it forces you to embed that learning and change as a result. So, yes, but I don't regret the journey that I've been on. So, what kind of advice would you give to your juniors who were in the position you were in 15 years ago? Work hard, I think, is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. I definitely think hard work pays off, and there are lots of quotes about that but that's been my experience of those who get their head down and work hard do get rewards from it I think the other big thing that I talk to people in my team about a lot is embracing opportunities so don't always view things cynically as somebody trying to give you more work or it's going to mean you have to going to stay a bit longer and do a bit of overtime that's a good thing and those people that have got that open mindset and will readily accept challenges no matter how scary they are if they you know you might not have done it before you might not have experience of it I think those that throw themselves into it will thrive in the end it will force them to develop it opens lots of doors it shows a willingness and an attitude to take things on a bit of a growth mindset rather than a closed mindset so I definitely think those two things are keys to success Um, so yeah getting your head down and hard work and not being afraid to take extra responsibility on What about if a marketer comes into their first position of management? I think uh, this is my personal experience, but I would always try and be authentic. I think you'll get found out if you try to be somebody that you're not. And I've seen that in action where people behave differently depending on who they're talking to. You know, they put their posh voice on when they're talking to their boss and they behave differently when they were team members. I think you get found out over time. And I think people respect you for being true to yourself and and honest it's helped me form stronger relationships in my opinion both personally and professionally with people I think it's got me more respect and I've been in a role now where I've been in the same business for quite a long period of time and I think you do get found out if you are around for a long time so I think 
the, the fact that I can look in the mirror and know I've been true to myself and I, I behave in the same way no matter who I'm talking to, whether it's the CEO or the most junior person in my team, I treat them exactly the same, talk to them in the same way, engage with them in the same way. I think that stood me in good stead and got me the respect that I want at all levels. And it also means I can just be myself. I don't have to think about, oh, I've got to you know, change now because I'm going to be talking to my boss. I just behave in the same way all of the time. So when you first started in a position of management yourself, did you find that difficult? I can imagine that when it's your first time, it can be hard to gauge how hands-on or how hands-off you should be. I, yeah, I did, definitely. And, and I felt as though I had to change and adapt depending on who I was talking to. So within marketing, there's quite a diverse set of skill sets. Mm -hmm. So within my team, there's 25 people. But you've got people from bid writers who are quite analytical and process-driven through to creatives who are quite out there and focused on the aesthetics and the beauty of it and they're very different people and I used to try and sort of adapt my style and think okay I need to be different in front of that person to that person so they want different things from me but what I've learned now is actually what they want is my experience and my input and my insight to things and actually it's fine that I'm not the same as them and I don't have to try and be the same as them I am who I am and I think I've got value to add to their conversation and, and their challenges and their questions. And actually that consistency is what they respect, is that they know what they get from me. Yeah. They bring something to the party and I bring something. And, and I think together we end up making quite good decisions. So, so yeah, I have sort of chopped and changed in the past thinking that's the way to deal with it. But 10 years on, I do kind of think actually I've just got to be myself and add the value that I can add and not, uh, you know, recognise my limitations, I guess, that I'm not a graphic designer and that's okay, and I'm not yeah. a bid writer and that's okay, but I have got something of value to add. Um, don't try and be other people. And, of course, you work across a lot of different departments, some departments who may not have the same priorities as you. How have you handled this and what do you recommend to others? I guess there's two things I've learned as I've moved up uh, within the business in terms of seniority and now at partner level is mm -hmm. transparency is important and energy and enthusiasm to build relationships so not everybody will proactively want to spend time with me and my team and hear what we're doing and get involved with it and um, really get enthusiastic about it so you have to take it to them so I've always been the proactive one you know if there's an issue I'll be the one to pick up the phone if there's a problem that needs solving I'll proactively go and find that person and try and solve it not sit back and wait and think well they need me so I'll wait for them I've always tried to be on the front foot and I think that's helped that people realize I'm approachable and are actually quite comfortable building relationships with me the other thing is transparency, and some of that, I guess, comes back to that authenticity point of yeah. be who you are. But, you know, I think if you try and duck and dive and try and dodge around situations or challenges or issues, that, that will cause friction in the long term. I've always found that, you know, honesty is the best policy kind of thing, that if there's a problem, if there's an issue, uh, if there's a, a, a roadblock that you need to get around, that you do need to meet it head on. Don't, don't shy away from it. And I think people respect you more for that, but I think you get through it quicker. Yeah. So then you can get on with your job um, and not let it hold you up. There have been times, I guess, in the past where either I've done it or I've seen others not be transparent and sort of go back into their shell and think, okay, that's a problem. I'm going to put that on the back burner and worry about that another day. And it, in my opinion, is it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes more of an issue. It wastes time. Um, and I think it loses respect from others of yeah. they know it's an issue as well and you're both sort of dodging it. I think you gain a lot of respect from 
being transparent, picking up the phone, trying to deal with it. It seems authenticity is a key component for you. How do you maintain this in daunting scenarios like talking to the board? I guess I still get nervous to some degree <laughs> um, because you, you, the, the conversations are different and you are more under the microscope in terms of they don't see you for 40, 50 hours a week. They see you for 20 minutes and yeah. you've got 20 minutes to show them your stuff. So, you know, I still get nervous from it. The, the, the biggest bit of advice I would give dealing with the board is think about them. It's the same as marketing in terms of think about your buyers, think about the personas, who are they, what motivates them. I do the same with the board. What interests them? What do they want to know from me? Do, do they care whether the Pantone colour of the blue that we've used is perfect or not? Not really. Mm -hmm. Do they care about the commercial viability of what we're doing? Yes. Do they care about the cost of it? Yes. Do they care about long-term messages to the brand and impact? Yes. So it's about putting yourself in their shoes and I talk to my team a lot about commerciality. I think that's something that's really important for all marketers now and you know ROI comes up on every course and conference going but it is about understanding what motivates the board what do they want to hear is it profit is it new client acquisition is it new leads is it website visits is it purchases you know what what is it that they're interested in and you always need to work back from that then as okay how can i prove and demonstrate that we're contributing to that and and you can't always give the golden answer of you know we have done x million of this but you do need to have some evidence that shows a bit of a journey and a thought process of, okay, if you're after that, here's what we're doing to contribute to it. And, and I find that's given me a lot of credibility, but also helped to open up conversations then because they understand where I'm coming from a bit more. Yeah. Um, I think if you come at it from a pure um, marketing point of view, um, particularly on the creative side, my board just don't get it. They just expect me to understand that. It's more about commercials and business objectives. So it, it's, that, it's that having a strategy, understanding the business, where it's going, and then trying to tie back what you're doing to it. So we've talked a lot about the internal side of things, but what about the external? Is there anything that, about the B2B customer that you wish you'd realise sooner? I wish I knew back then when I started what I now, now know about customers. And you know, customer insights and research has grown a lot in the past few years. We've got a specialist team now looking at that purposely to make sure that our marketing is tailored so it's sort of marketing 101 but you must know your customers 100% you must know them I think in marketing we're lucky that we have more chance to understand them than others you know we can go to events we can see their behavior we can see what they're reading and downloading and how long they're staying on articles and what what are the buttons that we need to push and I think we have to understand that if we don't, we can waste a lot of time and money, mm -hmm. you know, doing things that look good, you know, let's send out a thousand tweets, but nobody reads them. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing of understand the platforms that there are and understand the buttons that you need to push. We've got, in terms of our buyers, we've got um, 10 key personas that we work with. So it is quite different and we can't just do a one size fits all marketing campaign. We do need to tailor it and we do need to choose different media, choose different outlets, choose different techniques. Um, and I do wish I knew that back then. My sort of mentality when I started probably was, well, marketing means X, Y, and Z. You know, we'll create a web page and send some emails and job done. Yeah. And buyers are much smarter than that these days. You know, they, they've, they've all got so much choice in terms of where they go and how they purchase and who they purchase from. And we just need to be an awful lot smarter. So I wish I understood that as well as I do now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're fortunate now that we've just got all of these techniques, all these techniques and this data to understand clients now much more than we ever could. 
And are there any mistakes you look back on and really think, oh, I definitely shouldn't have done that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably loads. I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable making mistakes. I think it's, it's how you learn. I don't know that yeah. I want to go into specifics for this. <laughs> but, I, but I think it is that... I talked about that growth mindset earlier of not being afraid to make mistakes but the key thing for me when I talk to my team is it's fine if you make mistakes but learn from them you know hold your hands up talk to somebody and make sure that any situations are dealt with but then what do you learn from it because you always will learn something from um, messing something up and that's fine that to me is the best way to learn it's probably the quickest way to learn and you know you, you clearly need to stay clear of the costly um career suicide mistakes you really want to have sort of a, a, a red flashing light around those. But I think making mistakes has been good for me that I have made some. I'm not perfect. I always say that to the team. You know, nobody's perfect. People will make mistakes and that's fine. But it is just about how you learn from them and what you take from them and, and, and you know, how you evolve as a result. Thanks so much, Simon. If you want to hear more thoughts from Simon or continue this discussion, you can find Simon on Twitter at Simon underscore Rustling. I know, as myself, I'm a B2B marketer at a brand, and you have so many different things you have to deal with in your MarTech and your day-to-day, that it's really hard to stay creative and generate new creative ideas. So who better to talk about creativity than Grand Prix Award winner Brian McCready? We're speaking to Brian on one of his last days at law firm Brian Cave Leighton Paisner, where he's been for the past 11 and a half years. Now, he's joining Adelshaw Goddard as the Head of Marketing. Hi Brian, thanks so much for having us in your office. Now, you've been in the industry for a while now. Has it become harder to come up with new ideas? Not really. We, um, I, I, I'm a bit of a geek with this stuff. Kind of most weeks, I'll spend a lot of time looking at two or three other campaigns that I like from any walk of life. Really good ones, really bad ones from B2B, B2C and, and constantly just analysing why did it work or what was crap about it and try and see what I can kind of learn and apply to our world. And there's constantly like new ideas out there. It just kind of keeps me fresh, I'm finding. There's a guy called Alan Gannett. He wrote a book called The Creative Curve and he calls it, I think, uh, focus consumption, where you kind of improve your own skill sets by, in a really focused way, consuming how are other people trying to address the same problems, how are they trying to fix it. And I've been finding I've been doing this for years now, every week without fail, looking at a few campaigns, and it just becomes a muscle memory. You just constantly are seeking new ways to kind of solve my own communication problems in my own world. So, yeah, at this point, I haven't really run out of uh, any steam or not come up with new ideas, so touch wood, it keeps going. So do you encourage your team to take that approach too? Yeah, we do. We do a bit. Every now and again, we do a creative exercise. Uh, we did one a little while ago where we uh, just for fun came up with an advertising campaign for a, a suitcase brand, which is nothing to do with our day job, but it, it just yeah. kind of reinvigorates the creative juices. I know within the design team here, they're constantly kind of having team brainstorms about you know new ways of, of finding better, more outrageous ways of making sure our points don't get missed in the market. So yeah, there's constantly something going on about and I, I do something called one minute briefs on a fairly regular basis which just kind of forces me just to kind of keep, keep my kind of creative skills fresh I guess basically they set a challenge every day on Twitter to come up with an advertising campaign inside a minute for something that you have absolutely kind of 
no familiarity with and it's pretty tough right and there's some real creative geniuses do it it's just for fun I try and force myself to do it a couple of times a week just to you know just make sure I'm still keeping the muscle memory fresh about coming up with new ideas so yeah I definitely encourage people to try it and I feel like we all get that mental block where you feel like you're really struggling to get over the finish line Adam more so than others how do you handle that but I guess there's a couple of answers to how you address mental block. The obvious one is use agencies more. I mean, these guys are ninjas at coming up with creative ideas, and I'd encourage more B2B marketers to use more agencies more often. They're not paying me to say that, but I, I truly believe it. But the other one, I guess, is, is just going back to think about the human that's at the other end of your communication, the people that you would you, know, you really want to read and engage with your stuff and respond to it, and just kind of put yourself in the shoes of what's going to make them laugh, what's going to surprise them, what's going to scare them, and what's going to intrigue them you know, just try to think what am I going to need to do to kind of solicit some kind of emotional response to whatever we're producing and, and usually just going back to those basics about how can I take this topic and make somebody laugh with it or make them scared about it or make them think okay, that's important or that's interesting um, it, it, for me it works it gets my juices mm-hmm. kind of flowing a little bit just to go back and think about the human on the other end of it if you always focus on how you're going to evoke an emotional response that's usually where the ideas come from and takes us just to simple things like surprise and 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 humor really and so almost everything that we try and do here we just try and find a surprising element or a fun element or something intriguing or something a little bit scary really so you've touched a bit on bravery do you think there's more risk with being creative i think it's the polar opposite i I can't imagine how people wouldn't want to be more creative. I think it's a complete risk to try and hide. You know, there's, there's, there's a classic quote from uh, some guys called Al Reese and Jack Trout that wrote Positioning, which were one of the Gospels for our profession. And, and you know, they, they say that what works in marketing is, is the same as what works in war. It's the unexpected. The only things that can be successful these days in an over-communicated society are un- unexpected things, surprising things. So I, I, I basically think if you're trying to hide by doing the same thing and saying the same things as everybody else in the same way, you're on a hide into nothing. It's going to be suboptimal, whatever you put out. So I, th- I think unless you work creative, I don't think you should go out the door. It's easy to say that, you, you know, most of us in B2B marketing, we're putting out thousands of of emails a year you can't be super creative on all of them but for the ones that matter the ones you know with a big number resting on it or your reputation's on the line yeah I think you have to invest in creativity it's, you've got to the question about risk taking is really interesting you say not taking the risk is the biggest risk but for me as a brand and as a marketing department the biggest risk is not taking any risks as an individual However, the biggest risk is putting the risk out there and being the one in the team that's wrong. Do you have any tips for creating a culture where you and your team feel comfortable putting brave ideas forward and going through with them at that individual level? Yeah, so there's, I guess there's a couple of things going on there. So some people, sometimes people are just too busy to be creative. You can't be creative on every single thing you put out. There's just not enough hours in the day and we've got too many outputs. Some folks don't know they haven't learned the, the te- techniques, they haven't been taught the techniques of how to come up with a creative idea. Some people don't know how in their businesses to persuade other people to take those risks, so there's that persuasion skill. Some people don't have the budget to go externally. Um, some people work in very, very small teams. There's a myriad reasons, and you know, as you said, some people may just not want to put themselves out there and, and to put ideas that are instantly going to get kind of knocked back. In my experience, you know, the only ways through that are just to keep pushing at the door. I don't 
get every single one of our ideas kind of past the the starting post if you will we've done a lot of pretty cool stuff and we've won some awards and some of it's quite high profile people don't see the ones that never kind of made it so and you have to be prepared to just you know take some on the chin can't win them all go again with the next campaign and try and come up with something more creative but I do think I think the industry is a little bit bereft of creative training we focus so much more on tech and process and data these days you know I question whether enough people are putting enough work into creativity I think us leaders have to give our people some kind of creative skills I think we have to give them some air cover but ultimately I think we also need to help people with uh, persuasion skills so one of the techniques that, that we do I hope my partners don't listen to this podcast but we try and put the fear of God into them about what happens if they don't run this campaign so rather than focus on the creative idea focus on what might happen if we don't run this idea you know and and what typically happens if you don't run a creative idea is precisely nothing no one reads anything no one clicks anything get people to focus on actually what they're losing by giving up a creative idea that's how we normally do it and we remind our people here on a pretty regular basis about the great work that our rivals are doing so we thrive on a bit of anxiety that other people are doing better work than us and that's what forces us to kind of get through it and that's what forces people to accept the ideas that we come up with so it's quite a simple question but perhaps not such a simple answer why creativity why should people be investing in it there's a new answer to that. There's a great piece of research I saw recently, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, by a company called System One. And you know that old adage that people know that half of their advertising is budget is wasted, they just don't know which half it is? Well, there's a, this company, System One, have recently proved which half of the advertising budget is wasted. They, they went through a, a massive amount of research and, and they proved using um, you know, some fairly you know, serious sort of like methodology that the ads that are most effective are the ones that are the most creative and they use this kind of five point emotive, emotional scale to prove how creative it is i.e. the more emotional response you get the higher the creativity and, and they prove that the more creative the ads the more emotional response the more effective they were in terms of real sales so they've actually called it the Higgs boson creativity uh, of marketing and, and they've, they've proven that actually it's the 50% of your advertising budget that's wasted are the 50% that you didn't invest creativity-wise. And they also prove that, you know, the marketing industry's response to which half of my money is getting wasted is more and more targeting, focus more and more effort on right people, and they've proved that's baloney. It's actually put more and more time into creativity and emotional response. Now, we haven't yet seen any empirical evidence in B2B for that, um, but I think you ignore that at, at your peril, really. And, and I'm not saying to people don't invest in targeting. That would be utter madness. But I think there's fairly good evidence that the more creative a campaign, the high through rates you get the higher response rates you get the more brands better brand sentiment improvement that you get uh, and, and that's just been my lifelong experience to the point now where I won't run a campaign unless it's I think clients are going to go wow and is there a favorite campaign that you've done there's loads of campaigns other people have done um, it, was a, it was a little simple one that I saw a business called Workfront did where they sent roses to clients uh, I thought that was really clever and probably my favourite ever B2B campaign was by some guys that make uh, precision scales for academia they showed how high quality those scales were by uh, weighing a gnome all around the world and showed that the earth isn't actually spherical that's how powerful these scales are and they just sent this gnome all around the world it was, it was, it was like hilarious but, but really effective um, 
Um, so there's loads of other people's work that I'm inspired by, but yeah, we, we've done a few that I'm proud of. And I guess the one that gave me the most sleepless nights, which proves to me, yeah, we're pushing boundaries a little bit where we, we haunted about 350 of our clients. They came into the building here for a se- seminar and there was there were legitimate reasons. We were trying to draw their attention to some legal issues that were going to come back and haunt them. But we really, really made the point. So we, we had uh, fake walls that we built in the office here and we were grabbing people through the walls the ghostbusters made an appearance we had the kids from the shining we fed people edible eyeballs there was a dead lawyer in the audience you know when people were in this seminar and list the list of crazy stunts we pulled went on and on and on you know we had ghostly holograms appearing and all sorts of crazy stuff clients just loved it the, the, the satisfaction scores with the event were off the charts I was really proud we did that because I was really worried I was going to get fired uh, <laughs> over it and but it but it works and, and it was just a creative way of making a point thanks so much Brian if you want to continue the conversation with Brian you can follow him on Twitter at BM Marketer if you've been in B2B marketing recently you'll have probably noticed that account-based marketing or ABM is one of the hottest trends going. However, we've noticed that it's often meant slightly different things all around the world. So if you're looking to implement ABM on a global level, how would you go about doing that? We spoke to Gemma Davies, Director of Global ABM Strategy at ServiceNow to see what advice she could offer. Hi Gemma, thanks so much for having us at ServiceNow. You're regarded as a bit of an ABM queen, but I can imagine working on ABM at global level requires an extreme level of integration. So how do you achieve that? I think go back to the beginning. Whenever you're trying to to make an impact, to set a foundation or a a framework or drive a, a single kind of vision, it's really about making sure that you can clearly articulate what that vision and that outcome is for those around you, right? Whether it's um, a small local team or a really, really large global team. One of the things that has really been key to, I think, the success of a number of ABM programs that uh, either myself, my peers, or or the team have uh, had the experience of the past is trying to articulate what is it we're actually trying to do? What are we trying to drive? how are we going to drive it and where are we going to start by really getting that kind of succinct message down and consistently reinforcing it means that you start to see this kind of ripple effect of people really believing in the vision understanding it and once they understand it and believe it they'll also start sharing it and i think that's been the way to really kind of start this ripple change and and to really have that impact so it has to start with the the why, the outcomes, and then making sure you've got the right enablers and the mindset around you to actually kind of filter that through. You've touched on having a growth mindset. You've written about it on LinkedIn. If anyone hasn't read it, I suggest you go and check it out. So what is a growth mindset and why do you think it's so important? Oh, great. So um, in terms of summarising the growth mindset, I'm going to literally give you a quote from Carol Dweck. So in a growth mindset, people ultimately believe that their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. Brains and talent are just the starting point. This view creates a love of learning and a resilience that is essential for great accomplishment. Now, the reason why this is so important is that her research has absolutely proven that people that embrace this growth mindset are way better team players They learn on the spot, they have perseverance that is untold and ultimately are continuously looking to improve what they do. 
And when you relate that back to an ABM program, you have a large virtual team that ultimately require those skill sets. So dedication. ABM is about the long term. It's not about the short term. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Hard work. Actually, we need to make sure that we understand our customers, we understand the other people that are around it. It can be relentless at times, but great things drive great outcomes. Learnings. As ABM practitioners, we're constantly looking to evolve, up-level our skills of what we do. And we also need to be kind of really agile to what might be happening in the market, within our accounts, within the industry. And then finally, resilience. There'll be times when uh, it's really tough to kind of pull through. You won't always win that big deal. You won't always convert that customer. But actually, if you stay resilient, if you work hard and collaborate cross-functioning as a team, you will get to the goals that you need to get to and you will have great fun learning along the way. So a growth mindset needs a certain amount of candor, right? Because you have to be honest with yourself in order to grow. So in terms of building a team and a growth mindset around that team, have you found that you're, they've been quite receptive to that quickly or has it been tough? Have you had to ease them in? What's been the plan? Uh, I feel very lucky in that we have some incredible talent at ServiceNow. I'm surrounded by people who are experts in what they do and how they do it, and it really helps raise the bar. I want to be my best every day because I don't want to let down the people around me. And I think actually as a, as a team and as an organisation, we all feel very similar. So in terms of that growth mindset, it's something that's truly embedded within our culture, certainly within our kind of marketing culture, straight from our CMO down. But I think it's up to the individuals. I think we'll each go through phases in our career where our ability to learn, develop, and our desire to do it may be higher than at other levels and, and so on. But we have a, a great team at ServiceNow. We all constantly want to do the best thing for our customers, for our sales teams, and that naturally is intrinsic in those types of individuals and, and those dynamics. It doesn't mean that we don't need diversity within our teams. That is absolutely uh, has been a huge priority for us and is something that we know adds a new level of, of value. But I still think that kind of growth mindset runs throughout in the, in the DNA and has, has been one of the reasons why we've been so successful as an organisation. So do your team tell you what your weaknesses are? I encourage them to share that. So um, naturally, I'm someone who constantly seeks feedback. I like feedback, good and bad. And I guess that's the growth mindset DNA in me. But I think it's really important to show that as a team and also to not create a fear of asking for help. And it's really important that we recognise that we're not all perfect and that that's okay. We're here to support each other. But I absolutely take uh, direction and leadership from, from my team. That's why they're, they're here and that's why they're doing the great work that they're doing. So is that something you look at when you're recruiting? Yeah, definitely. I think when we're looking for, for new talent, we're looking for people that can bring something new, some people that are going to inspire the rest of us, that are going to teach us something that we didn't already know and that are going to take a leadership role in bringing the best skills that they bring. If I look across my team, we've got individuals where we're playing to our strengths. So we have people in the within my direct team, we've actually all gone through the Strengths Finder exercise. We've all shared with each other where we feel our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And we've been really good at supporting each other through those. 
and that goes for myself as well it has to start with me I'm incredibly transparent with the things that I think I'm good at and what the team think I'm good at and I also also happily let them take uh, control and lead me in the areas where I'm not So what's the biggest lesson you've learned from working globally? I can imagine having such a reach means you encounter so many different points of view. Wow, I've learned so much. So I've been part of global teams now for most of my career. I'd say in a client-side facing role, certainly for the last three or four years. Key things to me, listen. Best skill that anyone can have. Listen to what the regions need. Listen to other experts within the organisation. Um, collaborate effectively with them and actually learn how people like to collaborate. People work and um, consume information and share information in different ways and actually recognising that is really key, which leads on to relationships. Build those relationships, invest in, in that time to get to know those individuals on a personal level, to understand their goals and make sure that you're working to the same goals. And that's where the transparency in organisations is key, right? We want to make sure that anything that we're doing within a large organisation ultimately rolls up to the key objectives and the priorities of the organisation. So collaboration, trust, relationships, FaceTime, really, really important, but ultimately a single vision that you're all working towards. Have you found around the globe there's been cultural differences on what ABM means exactly? ABM can mean something different to every organisation, right? So account-based marketing, account-based engagement, whatever you want to call it. Key when kicking off any programme like this is to understand what exactly does it mean for that organisation and tying it to the larger, wider corporate goals. ABM cannot work in silo. It doesn't work. It has to be at the heart of the wider strategy. It has to align to the sales objectives, the marketing objectives, and ultimately the business objectives. Actually, one of the the biggest challenges, I think, when you're embarking on these sort of programs is to effectively articulate what exactly does ABM mean for your organisation? What is the requirement? And then how do you embed that message, that vision and that purpose in a way that everyone can tie to? If I think about just generally speaking about ABM in the market... There are a number of, I guess, some of the tech companies that that might be promoting uh, ABM-style programs that are more traditionally known as demand generation or targeted marketing. And I do think there is definitely some disconnect in some places where actually we really need to focus on the value of what account-based marketing can bring. Comes back to the core ABM fundamentals, right? Understanding the market in which an account is operating in understanding the business imperatives driving that account and then the initiatives that an account has uh, essentially kicked off as as part of a transformation that they're going through and then tying your own company uh, solutions to those initiatives. We can't do everything for every organisation. Actually, it's about understanding where your strengths as a business lie and playing to those strengths and communicating them and articulating them in a way that an organisation can understand. So you talk about a growth mindset. Is that mindset restricted just to the office hours? So I am super passionate about using the skills, the knowledge and the things that I've learned throughout my career to really support and empower others. It started off with being on a mission to make sure that children in schools really understood the opportunities uh, and what the career, a career in kind of B2B marketing could be like. Uh, I always have a joke with my parents that I never knew 
that I could be a B2B marketer or, or a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, I resent them slightly for it, so I'm kind of on a mission to help educate there. But one of my latest big passions is really about enabling others. So last year, I started doing some work with some female entrepreneurs in Malawi. So really supporting them on things like business planning, marketing strategy, uh, pricing analysis, etc. And last May, I was super lucky to be able to go over there and actually spend some time with these women as part of a group of 15 others. We kind of embarked on this, this journey really to share our skills. We've been so privileged to have grown up in an area where we have access to great education and inspiring mentors and great opportunities within our careers. And it was a great opportunity for us to give some of those those skills back. So being one of 15 other women who was yeah open to, to sharing that, there's a number of tracks that, that still go on. If anyone is interested, uh, reach out. Uh, and I'd happily put you in touch with Kate Oldom, uh, the Orbis team, to yeah really show you how you can access some of that there is huge opportunity to for others to leverage those skills and countries languages etc should not be a barrier to learning and being able to be inspired so supporting others on their growth mindset challenge was there anything you learned from that experience Personally, uh, there was a number of challenges and, and things that I overcame that I didn't even believe was possible. One of them was climbing Mount Molonje. I actually thought I was going to die on that mountain. <laughs> there is one photo of me when we got to the top and I'm munching on a biscuit. And even now, when I look at that photo, I can remember exactly how I felt when I knew we'd reached that top. And one thing I would say, credit to the women who were, were part of that expedition because that experience of climbing that mountain was the perfect uh, mixture of teamwork, support, being able to flex and, and support each other, determination, endurance. I mean, you name it. I didn't believe I had half of those skills in me to, to do it. The other thing I thought was the importance of being present. So being a Malawi, phone signal, Wi-Fi, etc., wasn't always readily available. And actually, it was so nice to be able to be in the moment and feel truly in that moment. And then finally, I was more inspired, I think, by the women that I met. And I hope that if they felt half inspired, um, as I did coming away from it, then I think that's a, a really good job well done. Don't worry, we'll put a link in the description so you guys can find out more about Gemma's Malawi trip for yourself. Well, Molly, that was a lot of fun. It was. Thanks to our three guests, Brian, Gemma and Simon, for letting us come into their offices and grill them. We hope you didn't mind the B2B marketing scrutiny too much. And you didn't mind us stealing all of the snacks from your offices. Uh, we'll be back in about two weeks with our next episode. We can't wait for you to see what we have in planned. Um, in the meantime, if you have any ideas or wholesome praise about how amazing we are, you can catch Molly on Twitter at Molly underscore B2B. However, if you have any constructive criticism, destructive criticism, or you fancy trolling someone on Twitter, you can find me at Adam underscore Harper underscore B2B.